This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. Coming up on the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy podcast today, Orange is the New Black's Danielle Brooks. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hello, and welcome to the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy podcast. My name is Mike Gares. I'm an arts and entertainment reporter here at the Journal. On today's episode, we are joined by Danielle Brooks, who is currently starring on Broadway in the Tony Award-winning revival of The Color Purple. She also plays fan favorite Tasty on Netflix's Orange is the New Black, which returns for its fourth season this Friday. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. What is happening? My life is changing. <laughs> it's so, I don't know, man. It's crazy. Like, so much has happened in the last six months. I'm kind of taken aback by all of it. It's overwhelming? No, I'm starting to settle in. Settle I think in. it's just so much excitement around it. Like, I, I to be nominated for my first Tony this year, um, for my first Broadway show, to get to still shoot Orange is a New Black. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm taking it back. Did you have a Tony hangover yesterday? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Now, what time did you get home Monday morning? 5 a.m. 5 a.m.? 5 a.m. That's a pretty healthy night. Yeah, and I got to the hotel because they gave me a little free hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to the hotel, and at like 8 a.m., all I hear is like all this construction. And I'm like, no, tell me I'm going to be able to get some sleep. But... I didn't, but I was on such a high, and I ended up throwing a yacht party yesterday and had a good old celebration. You threw a yacht party? Yeah. Where? At the pier. I have two amazing friends that allow me to use their yacht, so we went out there and had a good time. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, you just you just sailed around. Or you just stayed stationary. We stayed docked because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, people have things to do. So I wanted everyone to feel free to come and go as you, they pleased. Mm-hmm. So we had a wonderful time just celebrating. Really, us as a whole, I brought a lot of people from the color purple um, to celebrate our win and to um, from the orange is new black. A lot of my girls came through. So oh, so it's like a meeting, a nice meeting. It of was both meeting worlds. of the purple and the color mm-hmm. orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's the Daniel Brooks signature cocktail? Ooh, I love a good Grand Marnier on the mm-hmm, rocks. Mm-hmm. Maybe put a splash of um, peach schnapps in there. That's kind of my thing. Just a little splash. Just a little. Yeah, it's good for the summer. Yeah. It's good for a yacht, I would yes, think. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. So getting to that point where you're on stage at the Tonys, you're in the audience, um, how do you not have some sort of crazy panic attack? I feel like I would have be so anxiety-inducing, like the lead-up, maybe not in the moment, but, you know, just the lead-up in your head. How do you stay stay chill, stay cool? You mean as far as, like, hearing the announcement just, or, like, the performance? Or? Yeah, 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 like like that night. It just seemed oh, like man. you guys have to do a lot. You have to perform. You have to sit. Yeah. You have to be up on stage. You have to do red carpet. You have to talk to media. You have to we do- had to perform that day, too. We had a show. It's a lot. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's, a, it's a hefty, hefty Sunday. 
Yeah, Mike, I, I try to take it one step at a time. Literally, we woke up that morning like 6 a.m. and had to be in ready in the car at like 6.55. Or maybe it was even at the theater at 6.55. And then we did like the whole rehearsal of the first number with James Corden. And from there on, we I mean, we had a show and we, we like you said, the carpet, all of this stuff. And um, I just tried to take it one second at a time. I packed my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And well, not breakfast, lunch, and snacks because <laughs> I needed to be prepared, um, you know, just to make sure I could still be on my feet at the end of the day. Um, but my parents were there. I think they were a big part of keeping me calm uh, because of the night. And I was joking with my castmate Uzo because she came and, and presented. Um, at the Tony Awards, and uh, I, I was crying because I gave her a hug. I hadn't seen her in a while, and I was and started to cry. I was like, "Ooh, don't mess up your makeup." But I, I was telling her, I was like, I, "Like, I can't stop crying because, like, I turn to my left and I see someone that reminds me of college, and then I see, you know, Uzo that reminds me of Orange, and then a manager that reminds me of that first person that gave me, you know, a shot, or like, I just kept being reminded of the journey." And it was making me very just emotional and grateful. And and so for me, regardless, you know, I had already won in my head, you know. Uh, So to be one of the five people even thought of to have a nomination was a big deal. But as far as the performance, I was like it took a like a big old weight off my shoulder once the announcement was made and I was like, Okay, now we can get on that stage and just do our thing and not worry about the results. Because so. you got that down at that point. <laughs> Thank right? you. I, yes. I would I would Well, I actually was singing a part that I hadn't sung before okay. and I didn't sing in the show. So I was a little like, Don't forget the words, don't forget the words but I think it went well. <laughs> Growing up is that was was that a dream was that a fantasy oh man uh growing up i i knew that i wanted to do this as a career i just didn't know exactly how i was going to get there but as far as like being on that stage at the tony awards i think so definitely i think looking at like watching it in the den in south carolina growing up sitting on the floor with the pillow under my butt just like sitting in front of the tv Watching, you know, Audra win her award and and watching Heather Headley for Aida and just sitting there like hoping to one day like be in that room and then to be in that room is <laughs> crazy. You grew up in Greenville, right? Yeah. Is it hard to get an acting career there going? Uh, for what I wanted to do. The yeah. beauty of the place, of the city, is that there's so much theater um, for young people, like uh, Children's Theater, um, Greenville Children's Theater. And I went to the Governor's School for Arts and Humanities. Um, so, uh, the, like, the Fine Arts Center. And um, there was just so much to get involved in. Uh, so I think it's great for that. Um, but as far as, like, taking it to the next level, like trying to do television no, I mean, you can be a news reporter, <laughs> but I think that's, like, about it. So I knew I had to get out. I knew I had to, to find a way to get to New York. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think of the South, I think they they love themselves some college football. <laughs> yes. Maybe some fishing. Clemson Tigers, um, all of it. And so, but, it, but it's interesting to hear that they had a, what it sounds like a fruitful program to develop 
young talent and, you know, give those opportunities to people who wanted to go down that road. For sure. Were your parents pretty supportive of this path? Very supportive. They were? Yeah, my mother was the one, really, I think. I give her a lot of credit for finding those programs for me to get involved with. Like Even even middle school and high school, I had to switch um, schools both times because I went to a normal high school and normal middle school, and then my mother found some um, academy for me to, like, get involved in that focus. She was researching it. Uh, She did. Yeah. Uh, And I'm really grateful for that because... I didn't like when I went to high school, I didn't even know what a monologue was. I was doing poetry from we had a local poet. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? He's slipping my mind. He'll kill me if I forget. Steve Williams. And I would recite this poem, and that was my monologue. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I mean, is there a moment that you can recall feeling like you. Are you you have creativity and it needs to it needs to come out that a creative creativity and expression is something that you're good at? Uh, I think imagination. Yeah, using my imagination. It was always active. Yeah, very active. Mm. I think there's always been in me. I'm 26 now, but like there's this five year old in me that's like just flying around, like just trying to create and be imaginative and live to the fullest and to express. Um, So, yeah. And you went to Juilliard, yes? Yes. How'd you get into that? I got into Juilliard because I went, again, I went to the Governor's School for Arts and Humanities in high school. And um, and I graduated of a class of 99, and it was only 12 in the the, um, drama division. And uh, at the time, because it was only for juniors and seniors, and at the time um, there were two seniors that were that just got into Juilliard, and they were both the only African Americans in their class, and they got in, and I was like, "This is cool. I don't know what Juilliard is, but all the black girls are getting in. Dope. I need to go." And um, started doing some research and just found out. The stars, all the big names were getting into that place. And that's just when I was able to dream. That was a moment where like, you really are fearless when you're young. And um, so I auditioned at 17. We went to Chicago. It's something called Unifieds. And um, basically you audition for all the schools from Guthrie to NCSA, Carnegie Mellon, Juilliard, all of them. And I had auditioned and uh, I did August Wilson the piano lesson, Bernice, and I did Winter's Tale, Hermione by William Shakespeare, and I sang, I never forget, I sang two lines, two words, or three words, sort of, oh, listen, sister, and the guy told me, stop, he said, stop, and he was like, that's enough, and I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't even get to sing, like, <laughs> like that's, that's all he needed? That's all he needed. He did my two monologues, and I sang, oh, listen, sister. That was horrible, but anyway, <laughs> that was it, and uh, and then I got callbacks and all of that stuff. All right, good. So uh, what year did you start Juilliard at? I started in 2007. That okay. was my first year of Juilliard. Okay. And graduated 2011. All and right. Booked... Orange is the New Black in 2012. So so where were you living at that point? Oh, Mike. 
Man, oh man. So my living journey in New York is quite interesting. Uh, the New York Times kind of did a piece on it the other week, but uh, I started out in Lincoln Center, which I think is pretty cool because that's where the dorms were located. It's a good place. And it's funny because my dad always made this joke saying, you live in a jail cell, ha ha because it was so tiny. Tiny. Right, but the view is beautiful. Uh, I mean, Central Park, you know, Hudson, all of that. So... I was there, and then my third year of college, I moved in with one of my roommates. Well, my roommate, uh, Jakina Kalikanga, who was actually my classmate in college as well. She's also in The Color Purple. She plays Nettie. And so we were roommates in Washington Heights, and that apartment was a hot mess. I mean, it was spacious, but like... Oh, man, we went through it. Like, ugh, the ceiling would leak and bubbles would come up the, the toilet because of water issues in the building. It was a hot mess. And then so I got out of there quickly. <laughs> uh, and then I went to Queens and lived in, no, I went to Harlem first. Harlem, uh, 117 in Madison, and a studio apartment by myself. I had my friend build this loft bed and... Then I moved to Queens. Loft beds are the worst. They, mine was pretty They're cool, terrible. though. I liked it. I liked it. It was pretty dope. Okay. <laughs> and then I moved to Queens, which was way too far. And so now I'm in Brooklyn. All right. So um, so when you're in Juilliard, is it just the work? It's just work, 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 and just pretty intense? Oh, yes. It's pretty intense. Yeah, Julia was very intense. I mean, we was working from probably like 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and just in classes. We would start with the physical, so we would do a movement class in the morning, Mm -hmm. basically a workout class in the morning. And then voice, we would work on our voice, and then we would work on the acting. And and so we take acting lessons, whether that be Shakespeare or Shaw class or um, a play class. Um, where we would literally play games, which was really cool. And then after that, you, you know, you had lunch and you would do rehearsal. And rehearsal would go from maybe 6 to 10, about four hours. And then if you were young, like me, you were still doing liberal arts classes. So you were writing a paper at night or memorizing lines or whatever that was. So you ended up staying up until like 12, 1 in the morning and doing it all over again. Did you always feel pretty focused, or was there times where you just kind of felt like you were drifting? A little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I always joke, and but I kind of believe it. I feel like if they still had the cut system, I would have got cut my second year. What's the cut system? Cut, cut system is was uh, basically where they accepted around 18 to 20 odd students. And um, if by your second year, if they thought that you weren't growing enough, they would let you go and cut down the class to probably about 16, 18. But Jim Houghton came around and remodeled the program. And uh, he said, we're going to keep all 18. That's our number. We're going to stick with it. And I'm really grateful for that because I like coming in so young, all of, for me, it was just about playing. I was, like I was saying earlier, about just imagination. And for me, that was it. But then I go to school and the oldest in my group was 30. And I'm learning, wow, no, this is like, like I'm trying to make a career here. Like I have to feed myself off of this craft Um, and so it it shifted for me and uh, I constantly found myself trying to um, to get to that deeper level of uh, maturity when it came to 
arts. And that's a very small class, too. Mm-hmm. You know, 18 people. Um, there's probably the the late nights where you're feeling less than others. And, um, you know, you can see exactly how, you know, everybody next to you is progressing or mm-hmm. not progressing. So I don't know if there's chance to judge yourself against each other but um it's probably psychologically it's probably a lot different than you're just run-of-the-mill training you know or yeah. school well i mean it's two things it's like yes you kind of are you know com- like comparison but i think it was so healthy i think it was healthy um for us to do that um, because we didn't have to audition for roles. They assigned us that. So we didn't have that pressure of trying to be Lady M, you know, um, which was nice. But I do think it was healthy for me to just kind of, um, like, look at myself and say, okay, well, I see that this classmate has this quality that really works. How can I steal that? And I think they did the same for us because I think someone that is coming coming in at 30 could realize Maybe there's a, a youthfulness about myself that I can come back to or, like, try to find, not take myself so seriously. And so it's good balance. When you graduate, is it is it pretty cutthroat still, even if you have a degree from there? Is it still pretty uh, worrisome or tough to just get out there and start trying to get a job? I think that's the biggest misconception about Juilliard and either any other no one's guaranteed to work that's the thing everyone thinks that we're guaranteed a job and we're not the only thing you're guaranteed is to learn how to do your craft and try to do it well and um, that's it you get toolbox you get toolbox of things that's what you pay for and um, so for me I my first year out of school I had really struggled with getting a job it was um, very hard for me. Um, I was able to be seen. I had an agent. Um, that was wonderful. But I uh, was a dog walker. I worked at Fred's Restaurant. I was a typist for an el- elderly lady. I did hair on a show I auditioned for, like braiding this girl's hair for $25. I... Um, I actually worked at Juilliard. I was worked in student affairs after school and international affairs. Um, so, I mean, I was out here trying to support myself um, and survive here. My parents uh, did not uh, really chip in too much for that, being their first child. Uh, um, I kind of didn't get the best part of that deal. But, so, but it was good because I had to really figure it out on my own and become an adult and figure out how I'm going to survive New York City. And then a wonderful teacher, he was our clown teacher, Chris Bays, who's an incredible man, he uh, gave me a chance. He was looking for a replacement in a new show uh, called A Servant of Two Masters that we're doing at um, the Shakespeare Theater Company in D.C. And he needed a replacement. And uh, I happened to be perfect, fit the costume, all of that, uh, could sing. And he hired me, and I was there for about two months. And uh, I actually... We were supposed to go to the Guthrie Theater after and do a show in Boston. And we went on hiatus for two weeks, just like two weeks. And I got a call for an audition for Orange is the New Black. And I booked it, and I had to leave them. But I'm very grateful to that man. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break here. We're talking today with Danielle Brooks from Orange and New Black and The Color Purple. Please stay with us. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hello, welcome back to the Wall Street Journal Speakeasy podcast. Today we are talking with Danielle Brooks of Orange is is the New Black and the color purple. Danielle, people love Orange is the New Black. What do they connect with? You know, it's in its fourth season coming out this, uh, this Friday, so we've had a lot of time to live with these characters and kind of grow with them. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think now, four years in? I think it's the story. I think it's getting to see themselves. I really do think people walk away with more understanding of humanity and what it is, how different we all are, and knowing that's okay. Um, because I think that's, as far as our society, that's the most extreme. Like, you're either in the real world or you're in prison, which is a world that most of us do not get to understand or learn about because we don't want to go there. And I think that's the same, like, on a, on a different scale, like, pe- person to person. We're so different that sometimes we forget how alike we are. And I think that the location of placing this in a prison is perfect for us as a people to reflect on you know even though we're different we're so much alike we have we you know like they say like we bleed the same we hurt the same you know we we love the same um as different as we are and i think that's why people connect with it also because it's funny it's a funny show. It's funny. You're, you know you're going to laugh. You're going to be like, did she really say that? It's real in that way. Like some of the jokes, they're like, yep, that, that's, that's, that's funny because I would probably say that too. Or I'm thinking that. So, um, you know, Gingy's incredible. Uh, the writers are incredible. But I think it's also you're going to see some really great acting too. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, when it first came out, I don't know, why a lot of people connected to it but you know first watching it maybe some people tuned in it just felt like you know as you're saying like it's something that most of us don't have an experience with so there's like kind of like this little voyeuristic element with it you know it hasn't there's nothing like this on tv and you're seeing how people act in this in this new setting and that's can be weird different you know jarring in a lot of ways but then you know as it became clear you know from the first season all the way up through season three they start telling everybody's backstories mm-hmm. and giving everybody such this you know face of this this human element mm-hmm. to it you know and these are just not like terrible people who just belong to be thrown away right and you know they they made choices they came from different places um and they have different stories that were oftentimes guided by, you know, true intentions mm-hmm. that, are, you know, a lot of us wouldn't say 
are bad. Now, some people did bad things, right. of course. Some people cut off some <laughs> things, but, but they're all they're all, they're all put <laughs> in there, somebody. and they're forced to you know kind of get along. And it's I, th- I don't know. It's very interesting that way. Yeah, I think that's one of the highlights of the show. You do get these beautiful backstories, and like you said, like when you really start to get to know a person, you understand why someone might have made the wrong choice that they did, and you see that most of them, especially women, they were done on the basis of love. You know, love like for even with Tasty, like getting all the mess that she got into is because she wanted the love of her mother. You know, and um, so it's it's very interesting um, how all of it, you know, pans out. Even like Pensatucky, like you look at her character and you you want to judge her, but then you see why she pulled that gun out on that lady, which was not right. But you there's you get the reasoning behind things, which which makes for us to realize we're all human. And it's interesting too that. You know, watching the show, you will get a certain idea of someone if they don't tell the backstory initially. So it's maybe 20 hours, 25 hours into the whole series, and, you know, you have this one perception of a character, and then they reveal this kind of what happens there. And just like that, you can kind of either empathize with Mm -hmm. them or your opinions could maybe change for the worse, you know, yeah. or, or, or the better. And, um, I think it's in the show's in a very unique position to, to do that and play with viewers and play with, you know, their, the audience and how they connect with, with you guys and what you're doing. It's yeah. very cool. Thanks. I'm glad to be a part of it for my first like big TV show. Like I feel like I hit the jackpot with this one. I mean, people became, obsessed with it it's kind of scary it literally scary like i was talking to samira who plays pusay today and we're a little nervous for friday like i'm actually going to the dr i'm getting out of here <laughs> because i mean and that's the thing too like you actually can't go anywhere because it's international the show is everywhere so i can't go to berlin or to puerto rico or anywhere without someone knowing what orange is a new black is which is a great thing it's but great thing. but at the same time the fans are crazy for the show and they love us so much as people like they really think i'm tasty like it's so crazy mike because i'll be like coming out of the stage door after doing a two and a half hour show at sophia and people still call me tasty like there's a little song built into the play that's like, Dear God, I love this woman. Her name's Sophia. Like they talk over and over about Sophia, but they still call me tasty. But that's just a testament on like how connected people are with these characters. They they love it. I feel I feel like I've seen on social over over the years after the seasons have have come out and the the people really talking. It has a, a big South American following. Is that? It have, does. Did you notice that? Yeah, I think because they feel represented. They see their girls. It's the. It's like, I don't want to say the first time, but it's damn. Might as well be like, you get to see women that are of the same background more than one. Like you get like a lot, a whole group. Yeah. You know, and we get to see like how different we all are. You know, one Hispanic is not the same as the next, and the one black chick is not the same as the next, or one white. But, you know, in this world, that's very hard to see sometimes because it's not reflected enough on television. So. Yeah, it definitely feels like people are responding 
to that element as well and that it is you know time will tell but it feels groundbreaking at the at the moment with the subject you know the subjects that it tackles the way it tackles the the people that it's showing mm-hmm. I transgender mean, older women you know all uh, different sizes body shapes all of it so how is the daily grind of doing a, a major broadway show is it, is it hard yes Doing a Broadway show is the hardest thing I've done thus far. You're doing eight eight a week? Eight a week. Yeah. I've only called out twice out of the seven months that I've been in this show, um, which we've almost, we're a little past 200 shows right now. And it's, it is. It's very difficult, like, vocally, just taking care of your voice, even now, just thinking about, you know, making sure I have a T, making sure how I use my voice as we're doing this podcast right now. It's, it's continuously how much you sleep and and um, taking care of your body. I throw wooden chairs around all day and, and swing my arm a lot in the show. And at one point, my whole right side was pinched. And, you know, having to go to PT for that or ENT for your voice is continuous. And add on to that you know, your life, press, orange is a new black, whatever else, you know, it's, it's going on. It's a very physical performance. I mean, everybody in that show is very physical and, and, uh, your character is not stationary by any means. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it that way. Yeah. I chose to make choices that were that way. I mean, it talks in the book about her being an Amazon woman, you know, a woman that shot bow and arrow. And so that, to me, is a physical lady. She helped build that house with Harpo. You know what I mean? So I thought it was very important to show that she is is a woman that moves, hmm. you know. Do you feel like you have come off the stage, you have good nights and bad nights? Are you critical? <laughs> I'm very critical. I yeah. am overly critical. I'm too critical. Um, sometimes... I think that does not work in my favor. Yeah. I, and now, you know, I was joking with my castmates yesterday. It, it, it's it's a part of my process. And unfortunately, it sucks because I have to do that for like a year of like just being overly critical. Like I'm constantly like there's one line. My first note that I sing is he know because he's the only one. And I go over that note a thousand times before I get on that stage. And I mean, to, right before my foot hits that wood, I am going, he know, he know, he know, like going over and over. Because I, I, I want it right. I care too much. I care. But do you get, but does nitpicking this much get into your head? Does it, it does. throw you off? It does. It does. And it's just, I, it does. Because I'd rather be overly prepared than underprepared and embarrass myself. But then that's the beauty of theater that I'm reminded of every day, Mike, is like, that's why we, I do it, because every day I challenge myself to be fearless. Every day I get on that stage, I could be terrified. No one would know it. But that's my job to tell that story as much as I feel like, godly, I'm like, I'm tired or I can't do it. Like, it, it's bigger than me. You know what I mean? So... And you have this cast, this story that you're probably feeding off of, maybe feel 
like a little security blanket around you? I do. I, I, I mean, that's the one thing. I can't do this by myself, for sure. You know, like, I have to lean on the people that I work with every day and realize, you know, I'm, I know for myself, and I've always kept this in my head. It's like as, as much as I'm working and have so much going on, like, so do them. They got kids, you like seriously. They they're trying to audition and 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 do all this other stuff too. Like I'm not the only one, so I I realize that. So we all lean on each other. Well, I've always wondered, you know, when you're doing something night after night, you know, you're telling the same story. Does that also get a little a little tough? Do you put you know little nuances into each performance? So if I came you know, Tuesday and then came a month later on that same Tuesday is, it's largely going to be the same, but if I... It's going to be different. It's going to be different. (laughs) It is. I mean, yeah, the story is the same, but it changes because the audience is our third character. Okay. You guys are a character. Whatever you guys are going through, we feel it. So if you guys are laughing your asses off... That feeds us for the, whatever comes next. If we're in a scene where Sophia is getting beaten up, you know, in that, that jail scene, and it's quiet where you can hear a pen drop, that changes the show versus you hearing someone's phone go off. You know what I mean? So every night is a different beast. I mean, there was, so we sat down and, you know, the lights went out or whatever, and there was a person across the aisle from me, and every like he had to have been there multiple times because he knew mm-hmm. when things were coming <laughs> and when anything great came was about to come or something oh. was delivered he's like Whoa! <laughs> and there's these like people in front of me these stodgy like theater people they were like so, like so mad oh. but this guy was like he was just so there in the moment and he but he knew he knew everything and I, I, maybe that's something like what you're saying about the uh, feeding off of you know when you guys know how people are responding yeah. to what it you can I guess pick it up pretty instantly oh yeah you feel like it you feel it you feel it I wish that there was a balance you know I feel like there's there's always the theater goer that's gone to the theater and like they there's etiquette you know there's a certain way that you're supposed to be at the theater and then there's these people that have never been to see a Broadway show and think they're at their church play where they can be as loud as they want. But I wish there was a happy medium right in the middle because I think theater should be interactive where you can feel all right to say, hey, amen, or whatever that is, especially in our show, you know, but um, still not do it in a way that's distracting. <laughs> But uh, that's, I mean, I, I think our audiences are great, though, and we're finding them to really be enjoying the story vocally, verbally, uh, as well. How much longer do you think you're going to do it? I'm probably going to do it till my contract is up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I plan on staying until about November. Okay. Um, so I'll be in there for a little longer. That's, that's Come a, and see me. Yeah, that's a long, that's a long yeah, time. And I'll still be shooting Orange, go back into shooting the season so um it'll be like before i was only doing about three or four episodes while doing orange i mean while doing color purple my i swear my career is a crayola box um anyway but this time i'll be doing the whole season 
of orange through color purple. So it's going to be very challenging. Please, people that are listening, send me a lot of love, please. <laughs> Lots of love. So what's the new season of Orange like? Uh Lots of new characters. Lots of new characters because, you know, the prison's overcrowding. That's what's what's great about a jail setting, though. Like, people leave jail and and people come in. And people stay. People stay. As Tasty will be staying. Mm. Um, But it's this season I really do think is the best season. It's grown a lot. I think um, the writers, I don't know how they do it. I really do not understand. But I'm really happy that they give us material to really sink our teeth into. Like, I've been so challenged this season. I think Tasty goes through a wonderful, beautiful journey, and as a lot of the women do. And like we spoke of earlier, you get all these backstories of you know, people, the characters that you want to know more about and find out how people landed themselves in jail this time. And uh, But the way that this show begins and ends, I'm telling you, drop the mic right now. They're not ready. They're not ready. <laughs> You're, uh, you, you said you're going to the Dominican Republic later this week? Yes. Taking, Punta taking the yacht down? <laughs> I hope to make a friend in the DR that has one. Right. <laughs> so anyone. Okay. Keep the yachts going. Please. Danielle, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. For more podcasts, check out wsj.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcast and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also, look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. Join us next time. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.